Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Erica Boynaflor, and we will be talking about her new book, Sacred Energies of the Sun and Moon, Shamanic Rites of the Kirandismo, Ancient Mesoamerican Shaman and Modern Practitioner of Kirandismo, a Latin shamanic healing practice, Divide each day and night into distinct periods based on the sacred rhythms of the sun and moon, with each time offering opportunities to connect with specific celestial energies for healing and transformation. In this hands-on guide to working with the sacred energies of the sun, night sun, and moon, Kirendra, uh, Erica, born the floor, with uh, details, the rites, rituals, and deities for each part of the day and night and explores the sacred tools and techniques used by ancient Mesoamerican shamans for harnessing solar and lunar energies. She explains how the sun is the source of soul energy that heals and uh, animates and strengthens while, and, and revitalizes us on many levels while the night energies are transformative and conducive for connecting with non-ordinary realms. Erica Boinafor has a master's degree in religious studies with a focus on Mesoamerican shamanism from the University of California at Riverside. For more information, you can visit Erica's website, which is realizeyourbliss.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Erica to the show. Good day, Erica. Thank you for having me, Robert. Great. I, I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you. This um, There was just so much information in your book that I just had no idea about. So I'm really looking forward to um, diving into it and kind of enlightening our um, listeners as well. So uh, first, I guess the I want to start with, you know, inspiration is kind of my thing. So what inspired you to write um, the sacred sacred energies of sun and moon, of the sun and moon? various things. I think one of the principal um, inspirations was basically as a way to encourage people, provide practical tools to encourage people to approach life in general as a sacred practice. You know, whether what's just knowing, oh, it's morning, it's a time of, it's a time of healing, cleansing, growth. It's nighttime. It's a time where I get to transform my body, to heal, to transmute my day, to release, or whether it's doing some kind of ceremony, breath work or something, and to approach everything that we do in a mindful way where we can be more in gratitude, um, give us an opportunity to be more passionate about life, and also flow with the beautiful sacred energies that are emitted from the sun and the moon. Yeah, we're we're all all of us are affected by it every single day. So it's so a, a 
you know, a great idea to be able to harness that energy, kind of work with the flow rather than going against it. Um, now, the subtitle of your book is The Shamanic Rites of Curandissimo. <laughs> now, can you properly tell listeners exactly what that is? And, and uh, um, so just how much I can't roll my R's. <laughs> okay. So curanderismo, at its just most basic, um, basic essence, is a Latin American shamanic healing practice. It has its root from indigenous traditions in, in the Americas. Um, my, my training and my background, both academic and field training, um, are from, they, they're from what you would say Mesoamerica, you know, um, and, and that's again, this has been a, these are all, these are very much constructed terms, you know, appropriated, reappropriated and whatnot. And um, Mesoamerica can encompass the Mesoamerican, the Mexican plateau. Um, Mexico, it, it also encompasses uh, Central America as well. So North America, like in the Mexico region, and then Central America as well. And mainly the indigenous traditions from those regions, which some, some people identify as Nahuatl, uh, but it, it really draws from these indigenous traditions and then throughout the years of colonizations and various other factors, it has also been um, infused with various Afro-Caribbean traditions um, and various and, and Judaic traditions, of course, Christian traditions. So there's there's a blend of things, but its roots are indigenous. Yeah. Uh, so now, how how does um, I was ask how how it differs from other forms? Is it just basically the 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 tradition the meso um american tradition i mean is it just uh you know one of those things that's kind of been handed down generation from generation i think you know it, it this is a this is a question that i think i it's a really there's a little story that i'm gonna i'm gonna share that because you know a lot of people want to like the way we understand of course the way we use language is a way that we we use it to communicate and at the same time we have to be mindful that we are, we know that curanderismo is a very broad. You know, it involves it involves mm-hmm. shamanism, where we're journeying into non-ordinary realms. It can involve um, brujería, like which, like different types of of, of witch practices, just uh, magical practices. Uh, it it definitely involves healing, of course. That's that's the underlying cura. That, that that's the root the root word is is to heal, um, and it could also uh, involve various plant, working with um, types of acupressure points, which is known as sobederismo. So it's a very eclectic. It can involve mm. very things. The reason for that, too, is because we're talking about thousands of different types of healing specialties in indigenous traditions. I mean, we had, there were just so many different types of specialties. Um, and this is throughout, you know, central, you know, with the central Mexican people, the, the different um, indigenous people known as Maya, like generally, um, and of course all the different tribes within the Tetzi, the Tetzal, the, the Quiche, and, and so, 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 Lacandon, and so many others, right? So there were so many different specialties within that. And when the Spaniards came, they, you know, someone knew how to heal, then you were a curandero. 
if you just practiced magic, then you were a brujo. <laughs> but it didn't mean that. <laughs> Brujos and brujex, you know, didn't necessarily didn't heal. It's that maybe that you didn't get, you got on the wrong side. You know, you got on there. You know, and then eventually, like, it depends on who you ask to. It's something that you really have to ask the person where it is. And there's one example that I'd like to, you know, because I was asked this the other day. It's like, well, some people don't want to, how would you distinguish a shaman versus a curanderex? And my mm-hmm. response is always, well, it depends on how the person wants to be identified. You know, there's a really, there's a little mm-hmm. story that um, Jacinto de la Serna talks about. He was one of the, the missionaries, um, and this was in early 17th century. He writes about this this healer who goes to this, this woman's house to heal her husband. And there's a white dog that goes into the room. And this woman is alarmed, like, why is this white dog going into my to my husband's room? He's sick. You know, so she goes after him with a broom and starts to whack the white dog. The white dog runs after her, and then thereafter, you know, there's a curandero that comes in, like, why were you hitting me? You know, I was going in to heal your husband. And he was a shapeshifter. He was a safe shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. He was definitely what you identify. I mean, shapeshifters are generally identified sometimes as witches, sometimes as shamans. And he was going in there to heal her husband. You know, maybe they were just perdition where thousands of people got grouped together and lumped together as if you heal, now you're a curanderex. You know, you're you're from the curanderismo <laughs> tradition. <laughs> so that's that's something to keep in mind and, and nowadays it just depends on how people want to identify themselves as well. Okay. Well, that's good to know that it's so diverse, you know, in, in exactly what it um, covers. Now, um, and, and I, it's I'm your, healing, uh, right? Being able to provide healing, but mm-hmm. there's different ways that we do that. Yeah, that's great. You know? And, and I, I was, um, yeah, that's perfect. And I, and I was going to say, on your uh, website, you have a wonderful video, um, you know, at the very top of your page that we, you, know, you kind of explain, you know, your background and your journey a little bit. But um, in, in it, you also explain um, or talk about a particular kind of a literally you know, off the cliff kind of moment that you had and um, your journey back from that and how it, and, and, you know, entailed Carissimo. Would you mind sharing that? Because I think that will give the listeners a really good idea of, um, of the power. Sure. So um, in 2005, I was hiking I didn't grow myself, and I slipped and fell off a, a cliff. It was well over 500 feet. And just as a, a precursor, prior to that, I had been in my mentorship for about seven years. Um, I, you know, it was, I, I would say it, it was a very, like, windy and jagged road in terms of my road to be a curandera. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It was, in my undergrad, I studied... You know, I got very interested in curanderismo on, a, on an academic level. And and I also come from, um, my great-great-grandmother was a well-known curandera in Chihuahua, Mexico. Um, and, you know, there were there were stories about her, and there were there were different things, you know, that, that did connect me to that culturally, of course. Um, and then coming here to the States as, as first generation, uh, it wasn't until like college that I really began connecting with my with curanderismo and especially its indigenous roots. Um, and so when I when I got to when I got to to 
school, I, I was also very much involved in social justice. You know, as in UCLA was a, shortly after the hunger strike, a few years after the hunger strike, and the hunger strike was basically to get a Chicanx Studies Department because we were trying to have the right to study about our history. <laughs> Imagine that, you know. Really? It wasn't like, oh, forget <laughs> that. Like, I'm like, no, it wasn't that long ago. There's still things that are coming up, and we're still in the process of reappropriating our culture. <laughs> so during that time, um, you know, we're, I got very much involved in social justice, and I got the idea to become an attorney, to go to law school. And, you know, do do social justice issues, work on social justice issues. Um, and in my second year of law school, I met this very interesting gentleman who introduced me to my first two mentors. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, I remember after my one of my first limpias, which is a cleanse, one of my, my first mentors, Don Tomas, told me, you know, he asked me, like, oh, so what are you going to do? You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to law school, I'm going to be an attorney. And he looked at me, he began laughing. He's like, oh, you're not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this, this gentleman has lived, you know, in, in the lighthouse, like, all his life. I'm thinking to myself, like, what? Okay. You know, but he knew. He could see. He's like, no, you're not going to like it. You're a curandera. You know, this, this is who you are, just like your great-great-grandmother. You're a curandera. And I just was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be healing as an attorney. He just looked at me, and he laughed. He's like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> and uh, fast-forwarding, you know, I, I continued going there uh, back to the Yucatan for about, every four to six months approximately and continue my mentorship. And now fast forwarding back to the point when I fell, I woke up and I was told that I had a skull fracture, a brain hemorrhage, left AC dislocated, two vertebrae in my back fractured, left leg I fractured in three places, right leg, knee down, all of my bone shattered and came out of my heel. And I also got severe osteomyelitis, which is an infection of the bones. In my right heel, when my bones came out, they didn't do a, a culture, so they put it back with an infection. And um, I lost half the bones in my right ankle. And they told me because of that, I was going to be in pain the rest of my life. Uh, because of my coccyx, they couldn't do anything about that. And also because of my ankle, too. But most importantly, it was because I lost half my, the bones in my ankle. It was very unlikely I was going to be able to walk without some kind of assistance, if I did walk at all. Um and my first night when they told me everything that, all the big things, there were a lot of other things as well, all the big things that were that were fractured and whatnot, I finally decided to really begin embracing my don, my gift. And that, that's a good underdismal term of, of uh, a gift of healing from God, which I believe we all have. I know we all have. Um, and it was at a point where I... I just, I just stopped doubting. I stopped. I, I get a process, I should say, because it was a process of of stopping to doubt and stop, you know, thinking like, oh, that was an in- interesting coincidence. It's like, no, there's, there were things constantly like pulling me towards a certain direction. You know, it was, it, they weren't just silly little coincidences or just neat little things that were happening. But actually, I, and I wasn't doing anything really with my, I was doing a little bit, but not apparently what. I, what my heart wanted me to do. And mm-hmm. um, I was in a wheelchair for almost a year, and I applied everything that I had learned during during my seven years of mentorship on myself, um, and, and then some. And um, after 
after not walking for almost a year, I walked with a completely normal gait in less than two weeks. And that was, um, so during that, that was a big, during that time, that was just a big opening for me. It's like, okay, yeah, you have my attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a shame that that had to go to that extent (laughs) to get your attention. I was really stubborn, uh... you know. I was really, really (laughs) stubborn. (laughs) I I don't know how that is. Um, so now let's let's talk a little bit about um you know the sun and moon sun and moon are um obviously had you know major roles in mesoamerican society so can you share a little bit about you know the the view of those two celestial bodies sure so something to keep in mind of course is that there's various nuances among different tribes right you know, like, for example, the Otomi, they probably honored, maybe, possibly, the moon more than the sun. And not everybody necessarily practiced the exact same right in the exact same way or had maybe, there were different nuances among everyone. But one thing that I found, and, and this is something that, you know, when I look and what, when we say that we study Mesoamerican tradition, because, of course, this is a constructed term, um, it's an understanding that we're looking for things that have been resilient throughout different areas, different, um, it's, it's something that, um, that has been around throughout many areas, throughout that stood the test of time, so to speak, that I found that was very common was this quadripartite understanding for a division of four, where you, you see this in the way they thought of, you know, their, their, the world as a horizontal and a horizontal and a tripartite, the horizontal being four cardinal spaces in the center, and the way that, that they laid out many of their cities, their principal uh, cities, there, there was a four space, their temples, the way they divided their calendar, and the way they thought of the movement with the sun being the two, um, the two solstices, you know, two points of the east, two points on the west, and then the center being the center crossing point, and then the daily movement of the sun, the sunset, sunrise, and the zenith, and the nadir. Um, and also, there's, these were conflated with the north and the south, and there's there's different things, too, in how they're reflected in their cities, in their layouts, in their artwork. So you see this very common thread in, you know, with the Maya, with Keen, you know, as it being a four-petaled flower, um, as it being the sun, and you see it in with the Mexica. You see, you see it, but within those four main periods that they that they thought of, there were also different periods within those subperiods, right? And there were nuances within that as well. And you see this too. Um, so that that's that's the the general idea that the sun was helps us to animate us gives us energy, gives us strength, gives us inspiration, motivation to keep going. You know, it um, helps to heal us, helps restore us. helps. In, and, and there were different understandings of what the, what kind of energies were, were emitted at certain times of the day, and that's reflected in their ceremonies, in their artwork, in the way they, they, they had their, their deities. And even their, the facial mudras, their, their, their facial postures of what it meant at certain time. For example, the, the sunstone. You know, you see in the very middle of the Aztec also 
the Mashika, or you can set some sick called the Aztec sunstone. You see in the middle uh, a conflation of Utlipochtli, which is one of their their main principal deities, the Mashika's main principal deities, and you see possibly also as Tonatiu, also as the Moctezuma, as, as both the rulers of the Moctezuma, and this de- this being in the center of it has his tongue sticking out, and this facial mudra actually helps release adrenaline, and it was also represented mm. as high noon, so you know that the, that at high noon this is something that means power. And this is this is what they thought of too. As Utslipochi was very much power, was courage, was valor, and showing you what you do with your body, that also releases that that adrenaline. So I mean, it's just it's very like it's so super cool. I mean, it's like their artwork and the ceremonies are just like freaking fascinating. <laughs> I'm not just saying this because I'm because it's my culture, <laughs> but it is. I love it. <laughs> So um, yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's like it's so amazing like and like even even understanding too how they ate like the biggest meal that they had was at in the middle of of, of midday like at noon high noon which is mm-hmm. actually the best thing that we could do for our body because it's you know when our bodies are able to digest the biggest meals of the day where in Western a lot of people have digestive issues because they're eating so late at night or they're eating meals that their bodies are having a hard time digesting. You know, these are people that were living in rhythm with the sun and the moon, living in rhythm with nature, living in rhythm in ways that honored their bodies. You know, so it didn't create unnecessary illnesses. Um, So there was, you know, different understandings, and I compared different things too to get an understanding of what the sun meant. And I lay it out in the book, and then I describe ceremonies that we can do to uh, to basically garner those energies and also receive those energies. The night, the night, you know, the night was, uh, it was, I would say, you know, it was, it was probably just as loved because there was also a night sun as well as a moon. The night sun would shapeshift. You know, some thought as a jaguar. Some believe that it would go into the underworld and go through a period of death and renewal um, and healing. And they would do all these different practices. They would, they would definitely do shamanic dream work. You know, this is something that they would, they would go into practice and then they would talk about the day and interpret their dreams and go and journey because it was believed at nighttime our soul essence, our soul would travel when we would journey into these non-ordinary realms. So the night sun in general, was believed to be very transformative. You know, and that's also very much in our body. You know, when we heal, when we go Mm -hmm. into delta, when we go into deep sleep, our bodies heal, our bodies regenerate. And this was also a period of transformation and healing for us as well. It was a different types of transformation, different types of healing. So it's it's very much an understanding of, of how they thought and how they lived their life correlation with that. So that was generally how they identified um, the night being a space of transformation. And, of course, there were nuances within that as well, um, yeah. where it was midnight and then pre-dawn as well, and then, you know, sunset and then dusk and then nightfall. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, since we're kind of talking about that right now, the, the rhythm um, them living with the rhythm. Um, one thing, you know, I wondered was that 
um, you know, we each have our own rhythm or, you know, our kind of our own individual rhythm. And um, how does, like, some people might be, you know, night owls, early birds. I mean, people get kind of maybe, you know, energized or um, most awake, so to speak, at, at different times of the day. Does, does that... Um, is there any kind of um, uh, I don't know, interact? I mean, how does that kind of fit in with the idea of the rhythm of you know the, the four part um, day day parts? Well, you're talking about shamanic practices, or I'm talking about shamanic practices here. So okay. this means we're not working in a time space continuum. We're working in a space uh, standing what they represent and understanding that we can connect with these spaces in in trance you know with breath work with intention okay um with visualization and different ceremonial practices that identify it's nonetheless being aware of what these energies are are emitting are releasing at these times of the day so it could be at the same time it's something that could be very fluid and flexible, and it's understanding how we can tap into these energies and what is there. Um, and it's it's something that anyone can do, whatever, wherever you're at. What you know, if you're a night person or a day person, it doesn't necessarily mean aligning yourself with that rhythm. Okay. In in the way of a time space continuum, where you're working in, you know, with the, with a the clock, you know, you're working it with by knowing that metaphorically. Sometimes literally, of course, too, and that's also what I discuss right. discuss in my book as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now, uh, one of the things that the the, the subtop, subtitle of your book is the Shamanic Rites um, of Kurandismo. Um Let's talk a little bit about you know the just rites, you know, ritual and, and rites. Um, what what role does that um, does that play? I I used to be a um, a person who uh, didn't really give a whole lot of credence to rights. I mean, to me, it, it seemed that um, they were it uh, stifled <laughs> stifled creativity. I don't know. I mean, for, you know, I just kind of, you know, I'm kind of going back to the, you know, my Christian upbringing with, um, you know, various rights that I, you know, didn't agree with. But um, can you talk a little bit about um, the value of of ritual and rights? Sure, definitely. So, you know, and I think I think that's something that, not I, I think I know it's something that it's up for us. It's up to us to reclaim um, for for many different reasons because you hit it right on the on, on the nose in terms of a lot of people identifying it as it being and associating mm-hmm. it with some kind of re, you know religious institutionalized religious practices and what I would say and how it's I describe it in my book in the way I open it up to as it having, you know, practical things we can do and more elaborate things we can do and different kinds of things we can do and, and really getting to the essence of that 
and at the same time encouraging people to use their intuition is rather than looking at it as things of like one, two, three, four, five, and looking at it from that linear is a lot, a lot, a lot of times, you know, when people come to me, a lot of my clients, when they, they, they've come to me and they come to me depressed, they come to me mm-hmm. in waves of experiencing waves of depression. And one of the things that is very common is they have no faith. And I don't mean faith in some monotheistic religious God. You know, when I say, when I, mm-hmm. anytime I've ever used the term God for me, it's, it's a principle of love. I mean, just faith right. in life. Okay. Faith that there is something out there that has our back. Because, of course, you know, curanderismo, one of, the big, one of the big things is there is some kind of understanding where there is um, love, that there is, there is something at work, whether you want to call it energy become, you know, animated. <laughs> Whatever that is, it's right. something that is divine. Something that is divine that is all around us. Is approaching life that way. Because some of us, a lot of us, have been so separate from that. And when we begin doing that, when I begin, and, and this is something that I had, um, and I talk about it too, this one in my, my second book, Gurandarismo Soul Retrieval, I, I have one example of one gentleman who was a staunch atheist. And I've had a couple staunch atheists as clients. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when they come to me, I, 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 you know, they come to my room and I have like, I have all these saints and I have angels and I have, you know, <laughs> Yeshua uh-huh. and I have uh, Buddha and I have <laughs> all these different, you know, beautiful like religious imagery around. And, um, and they're telling me as I'm looking, I'm like, I don't know if we're going to get along. <laughs> <laughs> kind of jokingly, but seriously at the same time. Right. Um, right. And I had one gentleman, I said, you know, uh, we, we did various things on soul retrieval, and one of the things that I had him do was, because he, he did like nature. He felt connected when he was out in nature. He felt connected. He wasn't sure what it was, but he felt peace. At, he felt at peace. He felt um, in just, just in a very harmonious state. So what I had him do, I said, you know, just just do me a favor. Next time you go hiking, bring. I gave him some sage. I had him get some, bring some cornmeal with him, and leave it there for the nature as an offering. And he began doing that. And the next thing he started having was he noted a crow feather that was left for him. And there were crows that were coming mm-hmm. over him. There were animals that were coming over him, like like very blatantly trying to get his attention. And mm-hmm. his faith began, in, way, in his own way, began restored, and that was his right, is bringing as an offering of sage, of cornmeal, to, to give thanks, you know, to Pachamama, to Ishikato Natsin, to, you know, Father, you know, Father Sky, Father, Father Son, you know, whoever you want to call it, however you want to call it. Um, and... Little, you know, next thing you knew, he he stopped needing his antidepressants. Mm. You know, start, he started feeling connected to something. So whatever kind of right that looks like just has life feel more special. We feel connected to something. Yeah. Because if we don't have that, a lot of times it turns us into arrogant a-holes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have a few of those around. <laughs> I don't know, to put it bluntly. <laughs> I appreciate your candor. 
that's right, something. Well, um, Erica, we're um, just a little past halfway through the show, so I'm going to take a quick break. And uh, I do want to invite listeners, if you'd like to call in and ask any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions for Erica, feel free to post them there. Okay? So everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back in about 90 seconds. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide. Books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our home page. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially... I do want to uh, welcome you back again today. My very special guest is Erica Boynefloor. We're talking about her new book, Sacred Energies of the Sun and Moon, Shamanic Rites of Akirandismo. Um, again, you can find out more by visiting Erica's website, which is realizeyourbliss.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Erica. The first half of the show, you mentioned the deities, the solar and lunar deities. Um, can you kind of um, talk a little bit about the roles that they played? And also, um, in your book, you um, indicate that there's also a third gender deity. Um, so, um, you know, the idea of a third gender deity, I think, was something I had never um, heard of. So would you mind explaining deities and that gender aspect? mind is that uh, there wasn't just one sun god, you know, for most tribes anyway. Maybe there were some that, that did have. But when you start scratching the surface and start seeing different imagery and different art, most of them had different types, different, different solar deities that reflected the different phases of the, of the sun, and, you know, being the, the day sun and the night sun, and also the moon as well and your purposes in working with them as well. So generally, you know, in especially during the, the classic and the post-classic period of the Mesoamerican peoples, the sun was generally depicted as male. And this was in correlation because, you know, they were very much, it was very much associated with, like, the warriors, like being, val- you know, valiant and, and, and doing this work and being brave and whatnot. So it was kind of around that. Not that women didn't serve as warriors, because they did, but it wasn't just something that was really popularized, I should say. Whereas the the, the moon, the moon had a lot of different associations as 
being associated with water, with the earth, especially with magic, uh, with a, a, a different type of transformative period. And this understanding with the moon, the moon could be male, the moon could be female, and the moon could be anthropomorphic. It could be anthropomorphic being part animal, part female, part male, um, male, male, female, 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 and different <laughs> ages within, different ranges of ages within that period. And oftentimes you see the moon being a third gender deity. And you knew that they were then, that there was a, a reflection of third gender deities. Um, when you see the clothing, you see the accessories, you see the hair, you see a uh, breast, and you see something like a snake coming up that looks like a penis. <laughs> you see, you know, a shield, you see a weaving baton. Um, in one hand, you see a shield, you see a weaving baton in another hand. Um, you see something that, the dress that is maybe, you know, has breasts but has a short skirt, which is usually something that was, um, it's usually either young females, but you know, in this context, when they they have breasts and there's a short skirt, there's some kind of indication of mixed gender or third gender, I should say, um, which is of course include mixed gender too. Uh, so there were these different types of understandings of the third gender deity. You know, what I found would oftentimes, and, and, and a lot of scholars that have written that have researched this too, was when you know, depending on what it was too. Third gender was a rulers. Um, 18 Rabbit in Copan identified like he has garb that looks with a long skirt. He has his warrior shield. He has accessories and clothing that third gender. And it was important for rulers to be able to be identified with having the power to access both male and female, mm. you know, powers. And there was also another aspect, too, where third gender could serve as something transformative. When you were going into a liminal period, when you were going into, and maybe there was a plague, maybe there was a drought, maybe, you know, there was, there was an eclipse. <laughs> that was also something that was very liminal, um, a lunar and a solar eclipse, you know. These were, this when these third gender deities were invoked. Because you wanted to be able to push outcomes a certain way. You wanted to be, and that's what you utilize. You use deities that could very much indeed be and work in those spaces of liminal spaces, of ambiguous spaces. So you worked with them to encourage an outcome a certain way. Uh, so, and, and this is this is general. There's, there's much more, because honestly... The study of third gender deities is, is fairly recent. It's fairly recent, you know, because before there was, especially at the very beginning, there was always a presumption that it was this binary. binary. And that's not the case, mm -hmm. because in a lot of indigenous traditions, American indigenous traditions, you know, we have a lot of third gender understanding. It's not just male, female. And they, mm. they serve a very impor important role in holding these spaces and and. and being bridges for these spaces and being able to transmute certain energies and whatnot. Very interesting. So, so um, it, it seems that 
you know, that the idea of being able to, um, you know, claim the power of of both, I guess the archetype of both, you know, the male and female, um, would be, um, I can see where it would be. You definitely want your ruler to have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you definitely want that. We've seen what, you know, complete masculine does, (laughs) you know, can kind of try to shy away from that. But um, now when it comes time to um, performing rituals, uh, one of the things that um, I I write in your book is is that, you know, whether it's day or night that one should, or or it was maybe you, um, always consider the the phase of the moon. so, you know, and a lot of times we just, you know, we're in our little binary thinking, we think daytime sun, nighttime moon, you know, but where we often don't, you know, realize, uh, uh, you know, the fact that some, you know, some of the, uh, the moon in the sky happens often during the daytime where we can't see it. So um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, why it's, um, you know, important to, um, you know, to consider you know the, the phase of the moon, and, and maybe if you can give us a just a, a, a recap of the phases and the type of focus we may want to um, have during those phases. Sure. So um, let me let me first put it into context of what the different phases were, right? Just generally. So I'll start with the moons because that's the one that you asked for first. So the moon, there was, you know, and, it, and this one's, you know, it's easier. It's easy when we can when we can see it and we can conceptualize it, right? You could see it. Right. So the new moon, when it's just a little sliver, that was associated usually with youth, with something new, and that's how it was depicted. You know, it was usually this this beautiful younger um, goddess or, or deity, you know, um, or it was a, a young boy or a young girl or something that was youth, right? It was new, small, it was a sliver. Um, And that is when you would want to do something that you want to start something new. You want to start a new venture. You want to start a new cycle. Maybe you want to start a new job or you want to look for a new job or you want to attract something that's new in your life. So, you know, depending on, you know, when if I'm going to do a rite, a ceremony, I, mm-hmm. I think to myself, okay, one of the things I consider, I would do it at night on a new moon if I wanted something, if I'm transforming, if, I'm, if there's, there's a shift, there's a change. You know, there's something that maybe I've been in a situation that has not been good, and I would like to open up to something good. <laughs> mm-hmm. so there's a transformation, mm-hmm. right? And this is one example. There's many different kinds of transformations, right? right? right. So that's something that I would want to do it at nighttime. If it's, I'd want to do it in the daytime if it's something that I, it's not necessarily I want to transform. There's nothing, I haven't really experienced anything bad. Maybe I've been fortunate to be in a good situation. I just want to give it power. So, or maybe mm-hmm. I just want to create. There's something I want to create. So if there's some, some kind of creation energies involved, I generally do them early in the morning. You know, if possible, you know, at dawn, maybe sunrise, you know, morning. If I want to give something power, then I'm going to do it at high noon, right? Um, and so those those are the different considerations of of how they correlate because 
The sun, you're thinking of power. You're giving us animating energy, right? The moon is right. magic, right? And it's it's much more like the night sun, also transform, transformative, but it's more the magical element, which is always present, which is always present. And the, you know, it just depends on where you were with the day sun or the night sun. So the waxing moon, when it's getting bigger, that's when you want to increase something. You want to expand something. You want to bring in, maybe you want to bring in some more abundance in your life. Maybe it's financial abundance. You know, if things have been going well and maybe there's, maybe there's, you started, you opened up uh, some kind of new business or you just started a new product or, or something like that, right? Something something new, um, whether you want to give it, you want to give some kind of creation to something. You just create a creation and being, and it's starting out good, but you want to expand that. So then you would work with the morning time and an expansion. And if it was something transformed, then you would you would probably want to do it at nighttime. You know, when it's okay. the full moon, you're bringing something into completion. You're bringing something full circle. You're sealing an intention, right? Again, depending on what's going on, you would either consider it, you would do it, you would start it at the day, or you would do it at nighttime. The waning is when the moon is getting smaller. You know, it's already gotten full, so now it's getting smaller. So that's something where you want to decrease energies. And if it's something that, you know, for example, maybe it's something like uh, you have been, you've just been having some negative thinking and you'd like some help taking it away. You know, then you may Mm -hmm. want to consider then working with the afternoon because the afternoon was very much connected with um, the, it was more of a spiritual wisdom. It was when the warrior women, the Siwatateo, for example, would carry the sun once it reached its zenith into the uh, into the west, down to you know right before into the it got into the underworld. So it was a time of spiritual wisdom, a, a time of decreasing, a time of releasing. So it's something that you want to work with. You want to work with your ancestors. You want to work with guides in that way. Then afternoon time is an ideal time to do it, and the waning moon is an ideal time to do it. Now. If there's something that you want to do it like you need to do it like today, maybe there's some kind of right, or maybe you want to light a candle where it doesn't, you know, maybe it's not the right phase, then you have to consider your wording, right? Um, and you work it in connection with um, maybe it's you want to decrease, maybe like you want to like make sure that something flourishes, but it is not the new moon and it is not the waxing moon. You're actually in the waning moon then I would say something along the lines of clearing any obstacles to make sure that this flourishes. Mm. Okay. So yeah, right I, now I we're in a waning crescent right now is where we are today. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I think that it's um it's fascinating. Now, um, in, in your book, I, I mentioned, you know, you have you know, various rights. Now, one of the things that um, you include in the I, – I, I wanted to look and see what kind of right you, rights you listed for this particular period, like the, the waning 
Waning um, Moon. And, and you have some wonderful talk about releasing, releasing breath work. Um, and then you have a, a releasing ride, which um, talks about making a concentrated tea. Um, but then you also you include more elaborate rites. Um, tell us a little bit about that, because, I mean, those, when, when I kind of read those, I mean, those are, um, I mean, it, it seems like they're, I wouldn't say labor intensive, but they're they're very focused. You you got to, there's a lot in setting up those particular those the, the you know the process and and actually doing it. Right. So I mean it seems that you know in in those cases it's um, you're, you're devoting a lot of attention towards the goal versus the others. Um, is that kind of why? maybe the benefit of those more elaborate rites that you list? Um, there's that, too. And there's also, because okay. sometimes it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. I just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah, dress up. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's fun to, you know, because it's, it's, it's a different kind of fun. It's a different kind of fun to work in magic and mysticism and wonder and awe. And it, it comes from a space of a pure heart of treating it that way. Um, and, and it is. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I create my, my banyos, my spiritual baths, for example, when I do them in the morning to, to cleanse myself, it takes about an hour of, of preparation, of cleansing the space, of making very concentrated tea, to put in the bath and do various cycles of those and, you know, smoking out the the bathroom to make sure. But when I'm done, you know, after I'm done with my my bath and my shower and it's been that I finished that process, I feel fantastic. I feel fantastic. And I know there's, there's things around me that, and it was, it was just not that long ago. I did a, a, a banyo for myself, a bath for myself. Um, and, I did a couple in a row, and I, you know, I have, I have some, I have, I have this beautiful necklace of uh, Rudrakshas, which is actually from the Hindu. It's, it's believed to be the seeds of, of Shiva's tears. You know, Shiva, when, mm. when saw, he mm-hmm. saw us, you know, playing, cried in, in tears of joy. And I, you know, it's, it's, I put it back together again, but it said that when it breaks, it breaks something. Maybe there's been something that's, like, funky going on that it, it, like, clears out of the way. You know, after I took my baño, it broke. (laughs) Wow. I put it on and it broke. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, okay, something got cleared. (laughs) I just put it back together and I did the ceremony around it to put it back together again. But, yeah, energetically, there's a lot of signs that will tell you it is worth it. You know, so we have fun with it. We take time for it. but. You know, there's also the practical side of life that sometimes we don't always have time to. But, you know, maybe instead of, like, pouring a glass of wine and sitting in front of TV, you know, making a nice tea, making a nice bath, giving ourselves a cleanse and doing it that way and gifting our spirit with something that kind of decompressed, like decompressing and and relaxation. And it's it's just a different way of doing it and, and taking care of our energy bodies as well as our physical body as well yeah absolutely now i have to admit that the the releasing right that you had about the, the tea that it had 
Rosemary, Yarrow, or, or St. John's Ward, um, oregano. It had some wonderful herbs in it, and it, I thought, boy, this is something that uh, I can go ahead and give it a try today. I've got all the ingredients, um, so it's really going to be uh, fun giving it a try. Now, when it comes to ritual, um, I um, isn't there the belief that um, objects and settings um, – have their own energy, I mean, their own sacred essence energy. So um, would, it, would it be um, appropriate to say that, that you know, the, the items that you use in your rituals can be, can carry on um, the energy from your you know, your, your past activities. I mean, the idea of, of objects or settings being alive, I think, would be unique to some people's belief systems. Okay, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure I understand the question, but I'll, I'll, let me see if I did. <laughs> so, okay. so, yes, very much so. In indigenous um, and in curanderismo traditions, we definitely see what many Westerners, what, what most of us Westerners see as being inanimate, as having, as being, having their own spirit essence, their own soul energy. And we do different celebrations. You know, I, I cleanse my house at least once a month, um, at least, in some specific rooms at least five times a, a, a week, um, where I do a lot of my, my work there with clients. Um, and it's to basically feed the essence energy of those living spaces and also our sacred items, our feather fans, our rattles, um, all my all my mm-hmm. sacred items, they have their own names. <laughs> okay. You know, I have one, it's named Mr. Rattle. <laughs> I asked him what, what his name was and or what their name was, and it's like, I'm Mr. Rattle. I'm like, okay, Mr. Rattle. <laughs> So it is. Okay. That's easy to remember. Awesome. You know, and and then there's other things. It's 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 something that yes, definitely yeah. they they definitely start taking their own energy and it's um it's their own love and helping us to make the ceremonies more effective and more magical. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't the, know if I the one your thing. Did I? No, <laughs> did you did. You did. You did. Okay. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a crazy way I questioned it, but but yes, you did answer that. And and um, so it's now. Um, yeah, and you know, one thing I, I love about this is that you know you're often referenced to fun. You're having fun and enjoying. You know, and and I think that's such a, a critical element that that is you know, often left out of ritual, um, but also it's one that we really could use a lot more of right now is, is on a daily basis is is having those fun activities. Yeah, and getting back to our, our sense of yeah. purity and innocence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And looking at the well, gosh, at, with wonder and awe and gratitude. Exactly, exactly. So, well, we're down to the end of the show, Erica. I have really enjoyed speaking with you. Now, what what would you what, what are your goals for this book? Um, you know, if um, you you could talk to some people out there listening, and you would like them for them to read, what is it you would like for them to um, walk away with? 
is I think one thing if I and again this goes back to my first my first you know goal for this is and and I'll say this and I'll put it in context because I hear a lot of people tell me like oh I haven't done anything spiritual for myself I haven't done anything spiritual I'm not doing I feel so far removed from my practices I'm so busy and etc etc and I looked at them and I just say well you do shower in the morning right and they look at me well yeah and I say okay well you can thank (laughs) the water you can thank the water for you can thank the, the morning for helping you create a beautiful day and being with you and guiding you and that's as simple as that is you know and and it's just as simple as that but approaching yeah. it uh, in a space where we're we're not you know just not just this rinse and repeat kind of cycle like okay it's another day <laughs> we wake up rinse and repeat rinse and repeat we do the same thing but we stop to pay attention to the small signs around us to the synchronicities around us for them and appreciate them and be aware cuz they're always around us yeah, absolutely. And and now one one of the things you you mentioned sour, and it's funny. So many times um, I have had guests on the show who have had um, you know glimpses of a, glimpses of insight or or connections with you know those um, other dimensions or, or awareness levels, and so many times it happens in the shower. I mean, <laughs> the shower is the place to be. Uh, you know, and, and it's like you say, we do it. We do it every day. And just seriously, I mean, I have, I can't count how many people I have talked to when I asked them about the inspiration for their book. And it was like in the shower or after a shower, or you know. And I, and I, yeah. every time I hear that, I laugh because. But it, you know, it is that water, um, that connection with water. You know, and and um, and I think you know us being. Seventy uh, percent water. You know there is that um, affiliation with with that. So that um, you know, I just think that. So anyway, I'm glad that you brought up that as a as an example of what people can do starting today. You know, if, if they want. Um, so, uh, well, this, this is great. Oh, and one other thing too, as I, I noticed too, is that um, you uh, part of the the goal you wanted to is um, also the reclamation. The reclam, you know, reclaiming the um, the, the history and the ancestry and the tradition, um, and, and I think that's really important too. Because we're, you know, in, in a society where we become homogenized, a lot of times um, those unique um, attributes or perspectives are lost, and, and that's a really good thing to be able to to make sure that we, you know, keep those. Um, so that's a, uh, you know, that's a really a great way to uh, kind of reclaim, you know, reclaim that aspect. So now, if anybody wants to reach, get a hold of you, Erica, they would do that through your website. Yes, com. Okay, all right. Well, thank you very much for your time. I, I really appreciate speaking with you, and, and it's been really fun reading your book. And I went to approach those rights with fun um, and uh, give them a try. So uh, I appreciate um, you spending your time with us. And, and again, it's a really great book for people who want to explore um, the sacred energies. Great. You're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Erica Boynefor. We've been talking about her new book, Sacred Energies of the Sun and Moon, Shamanic Rites of Kirandismo. 
Um, again, like she said, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is realizeyourbliss.com. And do check it out. Uh, Erica's got some uh, wonderful videos there, blog and books and, and a lot more. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.